The following podcast is brought to you by the Village Sendo. For more information, visit villagesendo.org. Good morning to everyone here, including those behind this screen and in this screen. Uh, it's great to be with you. Thanks for coming out to support our endeavor. And I'm going to be talking about what that endeavor is for me. Um, I've been traveling the last couple months outside of the United States. And <clears throat> many of us have heard a lot in the United States about freedom. Seems like even when there isn't an election, it's always about politics nowadays. And the word that gets thrown a lot around a lot is freedom. And apparently in some parts of this country, freedom means determining what books other people can read, erasing African-American history and the original sin of this country, which was slavery, in case you're not aware of that. That's my opinion. Erasing that and the pain that has preceded and followed that in this country from racial oppression, attacking trans people in, in myriad ways, erasing them. And of course, last but not least, the forced birth industry, as I might term it. And, and for some people, all of these initiatives, along with the proliferation of guns, the relentless expansion and the weaponry of this country, which already dominates the world in firepower, this is freedom for them. And as you can tell by my slightly ironic and very condescending tone, it is not freedom for me. So where does practice fit into this picture of competing visions of freedom? I would like to propose that at least for me, the important freedom, the real freedom is freedom from the self. So that in fact, these assertions of ideas and values, however sincerely held and profoundly adhered to, are exactly the opposite of what is real freedom. Real freedom is looking at this, me, this thing I call I, looking at itself and learning to let go of the ideas and opinions that I use to build up and define this thing that's speaking to you now. That's freedom for me. Because for me, the purpose of this practice 
is to alleviate suffering. That goes all the way back to the beginning when Buddha was cosseted in his wonderful palace, his parents taking care of his every need, seeking to protect him from anything and everything that might be disagreeable, and that he had the temerity to venture forth and to see that the world is full of shit. Old age, sickness, and death, and plenty besides that, prejudice, authoritarianism, intolerance, people imposing on each other, basically, in a nutshell, a competing vision of how life should be. And it's basically just a, a jungle of people imposing on each other and who has the strongest voice. But what really needs to happen is that each person needs to look at themselves and take care of their own crap rather than exporting their anger and intolerance on others. How about if we all just take a look at ourselves and take care of our own crap? Well, part of the reason I think that it doesn't happen more often than it should is that it's very uncomfortable to look at our own crap. Isn't it uncomfortable? Yet here you are, all of you here on screen and off, here you are doing it. I have to just pause and salute you for the courage that you're showing by showing up here and supporting each other in this endeavor of looking at your own crap. Because that's the only way to get rid of it. And the getting rid of it is the thing that alleviates suffering. And I'm gonna talk about my own suffering a little bit today. I have a story or two <laughs> about my own suffering. So for your entertainment and education, I will talk about my suffering. Even though as I say that and laugh about it, I am a highly privileged person. So I get that. I understand. I am highly privileged, but of course, I have my own suffering because I'm tied up with my own shit. I'm invested in protecting and building up and defending myself, and that is the source of my suffering. So what have I been protecting myself from? Well, there's so many things, but recently what I've really been very engaged in protecting myself from is a, a construction project. There is a building going up 10 feet outside my windows. 10 feet is not a lot of distance. And in that building, there are a lot of people doing a lot of things that make a lot of noise. That's what construction's like. It's very dirty, very noisy, very hard work uh, to put up a building. And <clears throat> As you might imagine, I do not enjoy having construction 10 feet outside my windows. So I've been traveling the last few months to get away from it. And before that, living with it for a year and a half. 
And, and basically this, this construction project has dominated my life for the last two years. And, and it's been such a teaching for me to look at my response to this development. And so I'd like to share a little bit about what I've learned from this. Uh, and the first thing I've learned, <clears throat> excuse me, is that when we want to protect ourselves from something that has not yet happened, uh, let's take something small, like, oh, I don't know, death. <laughs> that little detail. When we want to protect ourselves against something that has not yet happened, we, I think, many of us at least, imagine it in extremely simplistic terms. We see it as an undifferentiated sort of monolith, a huge undifferentiated thing that we attach our fear to, when in fact, all the things we fear are extremely detailed with a lot of nuance and variation in how they unfold and a lot of unpredictability in how they unfold. But from the outside of the experience, we don't see that. We only see the fact of death or the fact of chaos or the fact of rights being taken away and guns being proliferated and so on. Uh, but when you're in it, it's really very different. I'm sure you've all had that experience. Have you been afraid of something that was coming? You knew something was coming and then it came and it wasn't at all what you thought it was. So I think this is something we need to learn again and again and again, that our experience is so precious whatever the quality of experience we have, whatever our opinion about the experience is, our experience is so precious, completely unpredictable, constantly changing and utterly unique. And part of this practice is to learn to really actually notice our own experience and participate in it fully. But when we don't like our experience, of course, we seek to avoid it. And so I went traveling away from the land of freedom. <laughs> I was free to leave this land and go elsewhere in search of peace and quiet, or so I thought. But of course, um, <clears throat> wherever you are, you are there, right? I went 5,000 miles and I was still there. <laughs> all my habits, all my insecurities, all my defensiveness was still there, waiting to be revealed by everything that happened. And how wonderful that it was revealed the Dharma is revealed by the Dharma. So one of the things we have to struggle with, I think, in this endeavor of 
releasing our grip on the self is our idea of ourselves, who we are and how we are. So check in with yourself right now. Are you a good person? Are you a bad person? Are you a so-so person? Sometimes good, sometimes bad, sometimes right, sometimes wrong. What is your image of yourself? That's the thing we need to open our hand around and release our grip from and realize that we are in fact as free as we wish to allow ourselves to be. It's we who bind ourselves with our own ideas about how we should be, who we are, and what it's going to be like in the future when the thing that we don't want happens. So a rather painful encounter occurred to me in a very unexpected place. By the way, those of you who are engaged in the koan study, I can't tell you how much about life those koans are. I mean, it, it seems in a way you're going through books and you're looking at this stuff that was said allegedly 1200, 1300 years ago, and, and it's just training for real life because that's what real life is, is a koan all the time, one after another is a koan. What do I do about X? How should I respond to this situation? And as many koans as I've been through, I still get completely stumped by life. So I was in Argentina uh, in a pretty remote place called Las Cuevas, next to the border with Chile. And I was there because there are a couple of really wonderful hikes. There happens to be a mountain there called Aconcagua, which is the tallest mountain outside of the Himalayas, very big mountain. I had no intention of going up that mountain much, a little, yes, but not to the top. Uh, but I think it's very beautiful around it. So I took a couple of days of hiking. And the second day I went to a part of the area where I was basically the only person there. And I spent a whole day just by myself in the middle of a wilderness with one path and almost nothing else. I did see two other people off in the distance, so far away, I couldn't even tell their expressions. But they saw me and it was just amazing. It was like one of those movies where, you know, you're on the frontier and suddenly over the hill appears whoever. It was shocking to see a person. So after this hike, which was exhausting, uh, I had to go back, supposedly I had to go back to the rangers to tell them I wasn't dead and that I'd made it out. And, you know, I'm very attached to rules. That's part of my thing is I like rules and procedures and I really like to adhere to them. So I was gonna do my goody two shoes little thing and make sure to go back to the rangers and tell them that I was you know, alive and kicking. So I went back and we got into a conversation about a certain lake that I hadn't seen. Where the hell was that lake? I went much farther than that lake was supposed to be and so on. 
So as I was having this conversation with them, this young man with a backpack insinuated himself into the conversation. I really hadn't noticed him, but he started to sort of get involved. <clears throat> and before I knew it, this young guy decided to be my teacher. And the way he taught me was after a very brief while, he told me that he had no money and that he needed a ride. He was going to Santiago, Chile, which was kind of far on the other side of the mountains and he was broke. Well, I was not expecting this. I was just there to be a good boy and tell the rangers I was alive. And suddenly there was a whole story unfolding in front of me of a person who needed help. And I have to tell you, I don't think of myself as a very generous person or a very kind person or a very patient person. I don't really think of myself as having any of those good qualities that we Buddhists are supposed to have. I really don't, I'm not joking. Whether I do or I don't, or you have an opinion about it, who cares? But the fact is, this is kind of my thing. So this is my thing to get rid of, right? Part of, a lot more, there's plenty more. Um, and at that time, under those circumstances, I was absolutely thrown for a loop. I had no idea what to do with this guy. Suddenly he laid his life out in front of me as he portrayed it and made it my problem. Nominated me to be the one to fix his issues. So I was really, really flummoxed. And I thought I would take him part of the way he needed to go in the car I had rented. Uh, we got out of the building and you have to understand we're way up in the mountains. And the feature of this part of the world is that in the evening, which is when we were encountering each other, there is a wind like you wouldn't believe that comes down from the mountains and just, I don't know what's happening. I guess it's going to get cold because it gets very cold at night warm day, cold at night. So this tremendous, tremendous wind, the minute we stepped out of the building, hit us. And I could barely hold myself up. I mean, literally it was that strong. And so I, I was walking to the car with him and I stopped because I was thinking, well, what? I'm just gonna take this guy five miles down the road and then leave him in this? condition this wind he's going to just straggle along the road as night falls while this wind is blowing and i was like no i don't think i can do that that doesn't make a lot of sense and then i turned and i looked at the building and i noticed that everyone else was watching this unfold i had an audience the rangers were watching, a couple of other hikers were watching, and it dawned on me that this guy had been in this building making his pitch to various people for quite some time. 
apparently they were all aware of the story and were watching to see what would happen. I can tell you that made me very uncomfortable. I was horrified to be on stage with this intractable, kind of like being in interview, doing a koan on TV. <laughs> like right now, like if I was in Doksan with Roshi and I was trying to pass Mu, uh, that would, it was kind of like what it was. And I just, I just had to opt out. I was just like, this is way too much. And I said to him, I really think you should shelter here for the night because there were buildings, you know, there was structure there that, and, and I just couldn't take him down the road and leave him. I couldn't take him where he wanted to go. And yes, I could have given him money, but guess what? I'm cheap. I don't like giving money. It's a fact. I do give money. I'm not saying I don't give money, but my first impulse is to not give. That's part of my thing. That's part of what I'm here to work with. And of course you have to ask yourself, well, this is not just somebody on the street in New York who you give a dollar to and you go on your way and you think you've done something, but you really haven't done something. This is somebody in the middle of nowhere. Uh, whether they need money or not, you don't know, but they say they need money. So what's the right amount of money to fix their problem? See, but the problem was really throughout this whole thing, I was really worried about me, not about him. How did I look to these people who were watching the whole thing unfold? How was I measuring up to my so-called Buddhist values? What would be the right thing to do to make myself feel like I had done the thing that I should have done, that I had performed adequately? I was effectively using him to cover my own ass. So I just want to pause and express to you how important it is to get to this level of insight into your own shit. You have to be very honest. The word in the, in the literature, the phrase that comes up again and again in the Zen literature is, you must be most thoroughgoing. Protect this matter. That's what they're talking about. You have to be prepared to drill down and really look at your own shit. Hopefully with compassion, as well as wisdom. Both of them have a role in this process, a very vital role. Because that's the only way to let go of it. To look at it again and again and again. What are my ideas about how I should be? Whose opinion do I care about? What's the yardstick for human behavior? How do I judge myself? So at that time, I just opted out. I just couldn't, I couldn't take it, you know? 
I was overwhelmed. And here I was the privileged one. Here I was the one with money in my pocket and a car and a place to stay, by the way, where not many hours later, I started throwing up because I'd had severe altitude sickness. <laughs> Never mind that. That's a problem that can be dealt with. Uh, I had everything he said he didn't. And I was the one in crisis. I was the one I was focused on. So I just bring this up to illustrate the work that we need to do, the work that we are engaged in, the work that really alleviates suffering, the work of seeing what we're like at this particular moment under these particular circumstances, understanding that there's nothing there there's nothing there. Nobody's home. It's all a bunch of habits. It's all self-protection. It's all strategies for coping with reality. But I have to tell you, in the ultimate moment, reality will not be coped with. So when all your strategies fail, like mine did, when your self-image goes out the window, like mine did, what will you do then? Huh? Who will you look to for approval, reassurance, comfort, validation? Huh. So I left him there. I just got back in my car. I said, I think you should shelter here. He thanked me and I got back in my car and I drove to the place where I was staying, which at that point was locked up. So I couldn't stay there yet. And I spent the night very ill. And the next morning I got up, I had a cup of tea and I left. And wouldn't you know it, as I was turning out the drive onto the highway, who should I see walking with his backpack but that guy? at that exact moment. Isn't it amazing how life gives us exactly what we need all the time? If we could only bring ourselves to see it that way. The offering of life, our life together. So, I have to say, I wasn't the least bit surprised. It's almost like, I felt almost like, well, of course. <laughs> Why wouldn't he be there at this precise moment? I waved to him. 
and we were going in opposite directions, so I just went on my way. But I have not put him down for a second since that moment. He has traveled with me thousands of miles. And he's still with me, and now he's with you. What a teacher. If we're there for it, if we're willing to receive the message of our own direct experience, of our own shit, as it evolves under causes and conditions that continually change, the teachings are endless. And for those of us who receive those teachings, there is no need to impose ourselves on others, to limit the freedoms of others, to tell others what they can and cannot do or who they can or cannot be. There is no need for that. We have far too much work individually to bother with that stuff. It's such a waste of time to impose on others. I like to think of this as an import-export model. And this stuff about telling people what to read and whether they exist, literally, right? Literally, whether they exist or things happened or didn't, this thing is just um, a complete inability to cope with what's going on inside. So they export the tension and harm onto others. It's an export. I want us all to get out of the export business. Lots more importing and much less exporting. We want to be permeable and absorb our experience and value it and reflect on it as a lens through which we can view our own behavior and learn to let go of it and be compassionate about it in ourselves and others. And I hope that more and more people get that message because it really will help this country and the world. But you see that we're very few here, right? This is not a mega church. It never has been a mega church. It's too uncomfortable for most people. That's not a knock on them. But for me, what this whole journey of Zen has been about is becoming much more comfortable with the discomfort. Not getting rid of the discomfort. It hasn't gone away. But I'm a lot more comfortable with it. And I'm a lot less inclined to push it out onto others. So that for me is the way to alleviate suffering. And I'd like to ask you just in closing, as you hear this story about the fact that I did not help this guy in the commonly understood way that we helped, how do you feel about that? 
do you feel moral, morally superior? Do you think you know what you would have done under those circumstances? Let me tell you something. When it happens to you, it will be completely different and you will have no idea. Good and bad, right and wrong, it's like, it's like being trapped in a cage of your own ideas, expectations. It's terrifying and exhilarating and essential to focus on your own experience and not impose judgments on others. So I congratulate you if you're convinced that you would have given him everything in your pocket and taken him as far as he wanted to go, or just a little bit of the way. But don't pretend you know. Even now, I don't know. I would like to know the way to be but nobody can give that to me. Reality can teach me to tolerate the way it is. Let's see if I have some fancies and quote to close with. Here's something. Dongshan. Dongshan said to his teacher, Yunyan, <clears throat> I have some habits that are not yet eradicated. Yunyan said, what have you been doing? Dongshan replied, I have not concerned myself with the Four Noble Truths. Yunyan said, Are you joyful yet? Dongchan said, It would be untrue to say that I am not joyful. It is as though I have grasped a bright pearl in a pile of shit. Thank you.